Hello, true crime addicts. I'm Taylor. And I'm Kara. And this is A Latte Murder, a podcast where we have no idea what we're doing. But we continue to do it anyway. Grab a cup of caffeine. And join us for a latte fun. Here we go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Episode 10. Woo, big milestone. Big for us. milestone. <laughs> It's weird. I always feel weird whenever we start recording. Like, I don't know. Because we're awkward? Yeah. Yeah. We're this awkward in real life as well. This is correct. Yes. My nose is stubby because we just had Thai food and it was spicy. It's good. (laughs) Mine wasn't spicy. Yeah. Yours was spicier than mine, supposedly. Yeah, but it wasn't. We're just going to. This is going to (laughs) be a new podcast where we just sniff. (laughs) ASMR. I like ASMR. Really? They kind of freak me out. Like, it depends on the thing, I guess. Like, I mean, I haven't I really, know. like, watched or, like, listened to anything, but I feel like I've, I wouldn't vibe with it. Oh, yeah. Well, I like specifically the ones that, well, I actually like, <laughs> I don't think it's ASMR, <laughs> but, like, when they, like, chiropractor cracks people's like that's not asmr i know but they kyle watches that stuff it's fun and like this one guy he had like a bad arch to his back and he like fixed it a little bit but he like yanked at his neck and stuff i was like yeah kyle watches that stuff and he's like hey lay on your stomach and i'm like no (laughs) you are not a certified chiropractor you are not like ripping my neck (laughs) no yeah i let john like crack my back but that's it he wouldn't, like, try to do any chiropractor stuff, but I want to go to one. But I'm kind of scared to at the same time. I feel like I got some intense shoulders. Like, just, like, not intense. <laughs> tense shoulders. Intense. intense. So I got like, some intense shoulders. Very intense. <laughs> very intimidating shoulders. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. tired. Well, as a usual. Lot of people, yeah. A lot of people carry their stress in their neck and shoulders i do and i don't think it helps that like i'm a counselor so i sit all day Mm -hmm. and then i'm like hunching over a computer doing notes yeah that's what i do and i do homework yeah i'm like how i'm sitting right now (laughs) that's how i sit you see those memes where it's like why does my back hurt all the time and then it's somebody like it's like in a pretzel shape on the couch (laughs) yeah or it's like the ones that's like in a stool that you sit like so oh, much yeah. over and then you're in the regular in, like chair. science class yeah. <laughs> why did they make us sit on those those are horrible yeah those are terrible i had to sit in like a stool yesterday at work for most of the day and my back is killing me and i need it need it corrected i think but i think my legs are also like an uneven you think so? like height you think so yeah, but they can fix. It's not like not on. I think it's because my pelvis. Like if you if you get your pelvis like corrected by a chiropractor, they'll go back to even. It's just like if you lean on one side more than the other, your pelvis like it does tilts. No little. way. Yeah. Really? Well, you have to watch the. You have to watch videos. Like people come in with like an es- issue, but you don't even realize because you're just used to it. That one leg's a little like higher or lower. And then it's just because the pelvis, like, sits tilted a little. Why are you taller when you wake up in the morning? Is this a joke? No. No. <laughs> I I'm, don't know. I'm pretty sure, like, why? I'm going to Google it. Why? <laughs> I'm, I've heard this before. I've never heard that. Why are you taller in the morning? Yeah. 
Okay. We are taller in the morning than in the evening because during normal activities during the day, the cartilage in our knees and other areas slowly compress. But when you go to sleep and the and rest the cartilage, wait, when you go back to sleep and rest, excuse me, there should be a comma there, <laughs> the cartilage goes back to normal. On average, you are about one centimeter taller in the morning than in the evening. Oh, maybe well, I should tell John that he was actually Thank just, you, Cora.com. Uh, well, it's only one centimeter, I guess. But John was like, he went and got a physical done for school. And he was like, they measured me at six foot. I thought I was six one. <laughs> but maybe he shrunk a little throughout the day because his appointment was at, in the afternoon. Oh, maybe. I'll tell him. <laughs> uh, yeah. PA student, please. I didn't know. Don't even know that. Yeah, no. We don't learn that. <laughs> We'll true or false. That. If that was a true or false question on your test, yeah. you would have failed. I would have. Yeah. <laughs> Just by one question. <laughs> by one question. Wrong. Fail. Then you'd look back and go, oh. Well, now I know if I go into in, a trivia that's a question. <laughs> it's true. You were one centimeter taller in the morning. Nice. Did you just crack your back? No. Oh. Uh, I Actually, I cracked my sternum. Like my ribs. Ew. I can move and crack it sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why. It just, that's what cracks when I move. Ew, stop it. <laughs> do you not like cracks? No, I do. Just not weird ones. But it's just like, like I Like crack move. your knuckles, crack your toes. Yeah, crack knuckles. Great. Boom. I crack my neck. I hate when people crack their neck. Stop. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it today. Oh, I, I used to be able to do it uh, like a lot, but now I can't. I hate it. <laughs> then don't watch the chiropractor videos. Do you want to do a high and a low like we yeah. did last week? Yeah. You can go first. I can? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, I want to go first. Okay, go. No, you can go first. <laughs> hmm. Um, a low would be that yesterday I had a really bad migraine when I got home from work. And I felt nauseous after. <laughs> and then... Pregnant. Yeah, so then my mom, like, I was supposed to go over to their house for dinner, and I was like, I don't think I can come. I'm really, like, my head hurts really bad. I think I just have to sleep. Feeling nauseous. Mom's like, are you pregnant? I'm like, <laughs> no, Mom, I'm not pregnant. And then John is, like, texting my mom, Taylor is not pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> like, he had to make sure that she knew. Your mom just wants a grandkid I know. so bad. But I was, like, sick. I guess then my mom told me today I went to see her. And I was sick, like, a few weeks ago. Not sick sick, I just felt nauseous. But that happens to me because I have bowel issues. So if I don't go to the bathroom for a couple days, I get nauseous. So that's, like, what happened. And I ate, it was, super, it was like, the weekend after the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I ate a bunch of, like, crap on the Super Bowl night. So I just felt bad. So then I was sick. And I, like, texted my dad. I don't know if I should go to my station. I felt sick all night. And then, like, I guess yesterday because I felt sick, my dad goes, have you, to my mom, he said, have you talked to Taylor, like, recently? She's like, yeah. It's like, well, like, actually talk to her? Like, she's been sick a lot. You think she's pregnant? I'm oh like, my gosh. oh, my gosh. I would tell you guys if I was pregnant. <laughs> so, no, not pregnant. Sorry, Dad. I know he listens sometimes. Hi, Jared. Hey, Dad. I saw you on the tickety talk. Yeah. <laughs> yep, saw your TikToks. <laughs> what a time. Um. Okay, yeah. so that was my low. <laughs> Feeling sick. A high would be that I had a patient. Well, one, I got to sew a patient's head shut. Heck yeah. That had like a four inch 
gash on his head. What the heck did he do? Someone threw him through a window. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was an altercation. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking maybe like fell down the steps. No, I think he was still drunk when he came in to see us, but... I hope he I hope he's doing okay. Yeah. So I don't know if I said it last week. I'm in the emergency department for this rotation, so see a lot of crazy things. So this guy had a huge gash in his head. You could like see his skull almost. And I got to help suture and then for the top layer, the PA I was with was like, Oh, do you wanna just suture you wanna suture the top? I'm like, Yeah, that's fine. And um then he goes, okay, I'm going to go see other patients. You just do it. And he left me alone. <laughs> so I just He left you alone to sew a guy's head shut? Yep. Nice. <laughs> I did it, and it looked really good, actually. I was impressed. He comes back the next day. Um... Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't there today, so whatever. <laughs> no, it actually looked good. I wanted to take a picture, but I felt uncomfortable asking to take a picture. <laughs> like, can I take a picture of your head that I sewed? But actually, so that wasn't my high, but that was fun. My high was that I had a patient that was going to AFib, which is like a heart thing where your heart's like beating irregularly. And so he had to actually go under. They gave him medicine to put him to sleep and they had to shock him. So his heart would go back to a normal rhythm. So I got to see all that. Don't like that. I know. It was, it was really crazy to watch. I've never seen someone get shocked, but, um, he like what, before that happened, I talked to him to see what was going on while he was in the ER and then I, like, went, we did the whole shock, and he was, like, up a little bit later, and I walked in, and I was like, oh, how you feeling? Like, he's like, oh, I'm better. Like, my heart feels good, all this stuff. And his wife was there with him. She was so cute. And then I was just talking to them, chit-chatting. He was wearing Crocs, and I complimented his Crocs. You and your Crocs. <laughs> and his wife was like, you wore, like, the worst shoes. I was like, oh, I love Crocs, like, all this stuff. And then I walked out of the room, and I heard her go, I like that girl. That's so <laughs> nice. Was like, Oh, it's so nice. And then I saw them leaving. I was like, you're leaving already? They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we can't stay longer. I'm like, no, it's okay. That's so, so sweet. That, it just makes As, me like, happy. a student, that makes you feel so good. I know. Just happy that, you know, they like me. Yeah. <laughs> I just try to be nice to them. And a lot of, like, in the ER, you know, people don't always get, like, you know, the ni- like the nicest treatment. Just like, yeah, every- you know, everyone's yeah. in a rush at the ER and like they can't always like explain everything or talk to patients. So not that people aren't nice. It's just like the pace of it. Yeah. So I think people just appreciate like slowing down and talking to them and stuff. Yeah. Every time I've been in the ER, I'm like, there's some rude people who work here. <laughs> no, yeah. It's just like that's how they and I'm like a student and I'm like not, you know, used to the ER lifestyle. So they're all used to it, so they're like, go, go, go. And I'm like, oh, how you doing today? Like, just <laughs> Yeah, we, we talked about this last week where, like, you just want to slow down. Yeah. Everything's fine. And I'm just like, I'm one of those people. I'm like, what's the next yeah. thing we got to do? What's going on now? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, okay. Or I'll be like, I'll say to, like, the PA, I'm like, oh, do you want me to go tell this patient what's going on? They're like, no, it's fine. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was, like, going to go tell them. Like, Leave them in the dark. Yeah. I'm like, maybe the nurses tell. I don't know. I don't know what happens. They just don't know. what They just come in and they're like, this is what we're doing to you. Yeah. We're not going to tell you what. Like, we're not going to tell you when. <laughs> just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun just to see like, oh, and a guy cut off his thumb. Dang. I got to see that. My first day there, a guy came in, cut off his thumb with a saw on accident, and I had to wrap it up and put his thumb on ice. <laughs> like he brought in his thumb that was off. 
like can you sew this back on yeah and so we had to like put on ice and put it in saline but then the bag started to fall that had the thumb and the saline in it so like all the saline was falling so i tried to catch it and it got all over my white coat and i was like man i got thumb juice all over disgusting. <laughs> so that was fun but he actually got it sewn on that day like the surgeon was to able to reattach. It? No. Because oh. tra- we transferred him like, to that the other one. That would have been cool. I know. But I saw the x-rays after, and it is on. So. Good. Craziness. Now he's like, hey, you guys want to see my, my thumb scar? <laughs> yeah, for real. I'm like, I don't know if they got, if it'll be, was like, it fully functional. Was it a clean cut, at least? Did he cut through it clean? Pretty clean for a saw. I mean, it wasn't. Was it, like, a power saw? Yeah. Like, ring. Yeah. It was a sawzall. Oh. Those freak me out. Yeah, I know. You could just, like, fall on... Ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's pretty hard to... Like, if you know how to use it, you shouldn't <laughs> cut off your thumb. <laughs> I don't know what he's oh, doing. Oh, God. I so. hate it. That was my... That was my... I guess a bunch of my highs. That's not for okay. the people that were in the You told me room. I wasn't allowed to have two highs last week. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just edited that, and I did say that. But I was joking. I let you have two highs. Okay. I love your highs. I'd rather you have highs than lows. Because I love you. I love you. <laughs> okay, go. Your turn. Okay. My low uh-huh. for this week is that, uh, I don't know, I had a pretty good week, mm-hmm. but my like stomach hurts right now. <laughs> right now yeah. is your low. <laughs> We're catching you at your low. Yeah. Oh, this this podcast really got me down. It was, it's because I gave, I gave you that Thai food. No, I, it was hurting before the Thai food, uh, and then the Thai food probably didn't help, and the coffee's probably not helping. The sugary But coffee. it's fine. White mocha, always. Mm-hmm. I got that today, too. It's good. I copied you. Uh, I'm sorry, your belly's hurting. It's okay. <laughs> I got a bunch of highs. Okay, I'm ready. Um, continuing the countdown, I have nine weeks <laughs> yes. till graduation. Single digits. Single digits. Um... I read more of Salem's Lot this week. <laughs> good, it's good. It's still not completed. You're but, you're almost there. But I'm almost there. You could finish that, like if you. Yeah, if like, I really like yeah, worked down. at it. Yep. Um, I got approved for my apartment today officially. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So I feel like an adult. My dad doesn't have to <laughs> co-sign for me. I can sign my own lease. Yeah, for you real. You don't need to be there. So you're an adult. I'm an adult now. I have to do like the adult things and like. Get renter's insurance and call no. for call for electric and gas yeah. and um, get my Wi-Fi hooked up. Like I got to do all those things by yeah. next Friday because next Friday I sign the lease and then two Crazy. Fridays after that I get the keys and we can start moving in. And I went to go look at it today, not the inside but the outside. Yeah, and just creeping around. We're like peeking through the window. <laughs> Hopefully no one's in there. <laughs> It's empty. It was empty. Oh, okay. It was empty. Good. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Good. That's exciting. I feel like I was, ca- wasn't I counting down something else? Mm. Or was I just counting down Salem's lot and graduation? Yeah, and like moving in, I think. Yeah. I think that was all you were counting down. You guys are just listening to all my, tra- like, life transitions. Yeah. <laughs> By the time we, like, ever stop this podcast, we'll be, like, elderly women. You'll get to hear our whole life. <laughs> Our whole life roll out in front of you. You're welcome. Yes, this is exactly <laughs> what you came for. These are just it's just like our diary is this podcast. I feel like I would listen I would listen to someone's podcast if this is yeah. all that what they did for an hour. 
I would oh, listen yeah. to that for yeah, sure. Yeah, if you like like their personalities and stuff. I would yeah. listen to us for now. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course. <Talking> about nothing. <laughs> oh, jeez, I just smacked my mic. I'm sorry. <sighs> All right. Okay. It's oh yeah. Disclaimer. <laughs> well, one, like I said, the last podcast we might have some clicking or. Yeah, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, we're gonna try to figure out what mic it is and then replace that mic, and then two, this podcast is gonna be pretty long compared to our other ones. Tell us why, Taylor. <laughs> because since it's one, we episode. rambled for about sixteen minutes in the beginning. <laughs> and it's fine. It's fine. I ain't cutting nothing out. No, it's fine. <laughs> and two, because we are doing a big case, our biggest case yet, because it's our tenth episode. Dun dun so, dun. It's Double a big digits, dog. Baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a big dog. Big bite. <laughs> it's a, it's a big word? dog. Are big you dog. making a pun? Because of the person we're doing? <laughs> I guess I am now. <laughs> um, Did you not realize what I'd, you said? Well, now I realize. But it's not like, you know, big, big. But it's a, I would say it's like a medium size. I feel like people case. know the name. Yeah. But maybe not sure. know details. Yeah. Yeah, people, I feel like if you're into true crime, then you've heard this name before. And that means it's big for us because we've done little ones that yeah. we probably we didn't even know and one conspiracy it. yeah <laughs> so we're doing son of sam today Ooh. that dog joke though <laughs> i know and before even i knew the name obviously and like knew some of the case but i wouldn't have understood a dog reference to it until researching yeah so you'll find out why son of sam son of it's sam a good one. so we're gonna give like more details than normal just because just, it's a there's big so case. much stuff on yeah him, yeah and i want to like he ha had six victims and multiple like injuries through that so well not six six murders and multiple people that were injured so i'm going to try to say like the names of everyone and say each individual incident so that will take longer as well all right all right kara my you, sources yes sources wikipedia as mm -hmm. always um, the last podcast on the left, which if you have it, let me plug a more famous <laughs> podcast and have people yep. go listen to them. For real. Last podcast on the left has a two-part episode on Son of, Son of Sam, and it's a really good one. Mm -hmm. um, and then I watch Son of Sam, The Hunt for a Killer, which is an ID channel documentary. So if you have Hulu, mm -hmm. you can find it on Hulu. Yeah. Maybe online somewhere, too. Yeah. It's a good one. Because that, that one's cool because it has like the victims mm -hmm. who lived and like eyewitnesses yeah. talking and like the investigators mm -hmm. on the case and so it's really cool. Yeah, that's why I like the cases because there there's a lot of victims that survived mm -hmm. and can like say their story. Yeah. Um uh, my sources are first I watched Georgia Marie who is a YouTuber that does true crime um talks. So I watched her video. I use biography.com and Wikipedia. Wikipedia baby. Yeah. Wikipedia is most my main source and then i watched george's video to like see if she added anything mm -hmm. i didn't and then biography was just like little dates and stuff like that i was more in the mood to watch and listen this week yeah i know i would have too i didn't even think about it until today and then i watched like, yeah because i texted you and said yeah i'm watching a documentary yeah, I'm like, and you're like oh i'm like oh there is probably some on him because <laughs> other ones there's not much like, i just looked them. up son of sam on hulu and i was like because oh, i know yeah. like i love all the id channel mm -hmm. stuff they have on there yeah. So I'm like, ooh, ooh, son of Sam. Yeah. Well, I I 
typed into YouTube and just like a documentary from crime scene, I think it was, came up. It was kind of boring. So I was like, well, I'll watch a YouTuber talk about it instead. <laughs> and But they had on that, it's on YouTube, and they had like witnesses and actual victims talking as well. So it's probably similar to the ID one. Probably, yeah. So if you're interested in that, it was like 40 minutes or something. Not like too the bad. The ID channel one's long. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like two parts, but mm-hmm. they're like each like an hour and 40 minutes long. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's long. So it's a lot yeah. of information at one time. Yeah, that's why I'm like, the video I watched, the Georgia Marie talking, it was just 30 minutes. I'm like, how'd she get this all in 30 minutes? There's so much to unpack. Yeah, for real. So let's unpack it. Okay, Kara is going to do background. All right. The son of Sam was born Richard David Falco on June 1st, 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, His mom's name was Elizabeth Betty Broder, who grew up in an impoverished Jewish family and was a waitress. She married Tony Falco in 1936, but he left her for somebody else. She then got into a relationship with a married man in 1950, and she became pregnant with Richard David Falco, so like with Son of Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, She gave the baby the name Falco, but then she gave him up and the reasons are unknown. But people speculate that the married man was like, why'd you give him my name? Like, mm-hmm. you, like, get rid of him. So, mm-hmm. she gave him up for adoption. Yeah. He was adopted by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz. They were a Jewish-American couple who were hardware store retailers. So, they reversed his kid's um, first and middle name and gave him the name David Richard Berkowitz. So, mm-hmm. David Berkowitz is more of the name he's associated with. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that his, like, I didn't know he had another name. Like, oh, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't know that his yeah. actual, like, name is Richard David Falco. Yeah, I didn't know either, and then when I looked up, like, his case, and I think it was on biography.com, it was, like, name, David Berkowitz, but then it was, like, birth name, and it was Richard David Falco. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I, I had like, no idea. That? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, journalist John Vincent Sanders wrote that Berkowitz's childhood was, quote, somewhat troubled. Mm-hmm. He had an above-average intelligence but lost interest. Um, and learning at a very young age and started to set fires and participate in larceny. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, relatives and neighbors say that he was a difficult, spoiled, and a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, his adoptive parents even consulted with a psychotherapist because of his misconduct, but it never, like, resulted in anything. Like, nothing really came of it. Mm-hmm. So... According to last podcast on the left, his adopted family had told him that his real mother had died, mm-hmm. but she wasn't. He reached out to his mom when he got when he gets back from the U.S. Army. Yeah, yeah. And I think he was in his twenties, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was very disappointed to find out that she wasn't like as pretty as like he had thought like his mother would be. That's interesting. Yeah, and he was like, <laughs> "This is all from last podcast." Yeah, and so like he was really sad about it and like she was disturbed by him and so it wasn't like a wonderful experience yeah so he has problems with his birth mother but then also his adoptive mother dies of breast cancer when he's 14 Mm -hmm. and um his home life became very strained during his later years because he didn't like his adopted father's second wife and last podcast on the left talks about how he blamed himself for his mom's death Oh, really? Like, he thought his adopted mom's death. Like, he thought it was oh, his fault yeah, yeah. that she had died. 
Well, that's interesting because I read that he blamed his adopted father, Nathan, for the death. Because what I, at least from my understanding, was that Nathan was like, he worked a lot and like Pearl was the the main caretaker Mm -hmm. of him. So he had a close relationship with his adopted mother. Um, but Nathan, like, you know, he was around, but he's, he's a good dad from what we see. Like he wasn't abusive or anything, but he just wasn't around as much. Mm -hmm. So I read that they kept his mom's diagnosis of breast cancer hidden for a while. So David actually didn't know until it was probably too late, you know, to come to terms with it all. So he, I think he blames his dad his adopted dad because of hiding it from him and stuff mm, like that. Interesting. That's what I read. But either way, I mean, I mean, yeah, doesn't make a huge difference. No. And so he's got these problems with both of these uh, moms. Yeah. Um. So already he's got like some trouble with women. Mm-hmm. With like the woman fi- figure. Yeah. Um. So when he's seventeen, he joins the army and served in Fort Knox in the United States, and then went with an infantry division to South Korea. Soon after his honorable discharge in June of 1974, that's when he relocated his birth mom and mm-hmm. just, it didn't go well. Yeah. So, forensic anthropologist Elliot Layton described Berkowitz's um, discovery of his adoptive and birth details as, quote, his primary crisis of his life. So, what this forensic anthropologist is saying is that this revelation that his birth mom didn't like him, didn't want him... And then she turned out to be alive, and then his birth mom ended up dying. It just was, mm-hmm. like, a lot for him to process yeah. with both of these huge women in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even if you're not around your birth mom, that still, like, holds some sort of significance because no, yeah. that's your mom. Yeah, especially – I read that he didn't – so they didn't tell him he was adopted until he was, like, seven. That's what I read. Oh, okay. I, mean, uh, I don't know if you knew, like, any age that he was told that or- you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't. Um, last podcast says that he, like, knew it his whole life. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if that, like, yeah, started yeah. at seven and then. Yeah. But. But, yeah, it's, like, I just, when I read that, it's, like, still, like, seven, you understand. You understand the concept yeah. of a parent. Yeah, and, like, he may have feel, felt betrayed anyway if he yeah. found out, like, later in life, even at seven, that, like, he didn't know beforehand. And that can make him feel, like, abandoned in some yeah. way as well. Yeah, I don't think he had, like, a fantastic childhood. Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people made fun of him because, yeah. you know, if you see pictures of him and you know what he looks like, he's always been kind of on the heavier side. Yeah, that's what I read, too. Um, yeah. I think he got made fun of a lot for being Jewish. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't think he had such a wonderful upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like he was, nec- like, abused, like how we'll see right. a lot of, like, serial killers or, mm-hmm. you know, in their childhood that were abused or had you know a terrible childhood it just was you know multiple things that could you know be normal at some level for kids you know go through bullying stages Mm -hmm. and all that but just the combination of you know his adoption losing his stepmother and yeah yeah, it's just a lot yeah he also had two head injuries Mm -hmm. three i have three yeah after the last one or the second one whatever it was Mm -hmm. like that's when he got violent yeah like, I think, I think he originally was just kind of like a quiet kid. Mm-hmm. And then after one of those brain injuries is when he became violent yeah. and aggressive. Yeah. Traumatic brain injuries, man. Yeah, I have, um, 
So I have like specifically the brain injuries. If that's it's up, if you're good with me talking about it. <laughs> no, you're not allowed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> move well, on. I didn't, I didn't know if you had if you no, wanted you're to good. talk you're about fine. it. Okay, so this is my podcast. But yeah, I'll let you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm the guest. Do today. whatever you want. <laughs> um. So he suffered potentially three. I found head injuries. Um, as we know, as everyone knows, like head injuries can correlate with some aggressive behaviors. Not saying everyone with a head injury is going to become a serial killer or murderer, but we have seen a correlation mm-hmm. with people that are serial killers having en- head injuries in their past. So, especially to the frontal lobe, it can um, hitting that or damaging that can change the person's ability to make decisions, and it also can trigger like anger. So, if a child or an adult is already prone to aggressive behaviors or just get angry easily uh a damage to like the frontal lobe can definitely Denise Gage make, yeah can definitely make that a lot worse mm-hmm. so at the age of six or seven he was actually hit by a car and I don't know the whole details of it I just know that he was hit by a car mm-hmm. um and then a few months later he ran his head into a wall so also don't know the details On of purpose? that I don't know. I don't know the details. I just know he hit his head on a wall. So within a year, he had two pretty significant Mm -hmm. head injuries. And then at eight, he was hit in the head with a lead pipe. Um, Also don't know the details of that. I don't know who hit him or if he was accidentally hit, which actually um, caused a four inch long gash in his head that he needed. Did you sew up Son of Sam at the (laughs) hospital today, yesterday? I was a lot older than what Son of Sam would have been as a kid, but yeah, for real. Dang. So yeah, he had a gash in his head. So he definitely had, you know, some sort of brain injury and that mm-hmm. could have triggered something. Like Kara said, it's, he started to um, become aggressive. Um, do you have him, anything else about his aggressions? Not really. Okay. So um, I have at age 13, he started torturing and killing animals. He actually slowly killed and tortured his mom's parakeets. Oh, words. yeah. That was in the last podcast. Yeah. yeah. So he, you know, you talk about the McDonald triad and he set fires and he tortured in her animals. The only thing we don't know, like there's nothing on record that he wet the bed. So that's the only one he doesn't have. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Um, also, at age 12, he says David's says that he started seeing monsters but no one really hmm. which will come up like later in the case yeah. he says that as well but he you know as a kid every kid or most kids can yeah. say they see monsters or like there's a monster in the bed or whatever so they didn't really attribute it to anything in particular so that was hmm. just kind of left you know pushed off to the yeah. side yeah yeah great <laughs> is that all you have for background mm-hmm. okay um, I also have, sorry, it's like bouncing around a little no, bit, you're fine. but when he went to the army, he also became slightly addicted to drugs. He was a lot, mm-hmm. he was high on weed, methamphetamines and LSD most of the time. He also, um, was not good at taking orders and was always late to things while he was in the army. Yeah. It says he's honorably just discharged, yeah. but maybe they were just like, you know what? Yeah. Son. Yeah. Why don't you just 
head on back home to the states yeah exactly you done good kid <laughs> but it's where like yeah. he learned to shoot a gun mm-hmm. like this is when he's like starting to learn about mm-hmm. guns yeah yeah all that that stuff that'll you know, come up <laughs> foreshadowing yeah foreshadow if you don't know the case foreshadowing <laughs> yeah um he also had sex for the first time while he was shipped overseas mm-hmm. and got an sti from it which they believe could have fueled his hate for females as well because he got you know an infection from one um and yeah when he moved back to new york after go um being honorably <laughs> discharged <laughs> yeah. from the military he started a job as an ibi security guard and cab driver and um he also worked at oh he enrolled at a community college and that's where he started working closely with guard dogs and getting close to dogs which is why we just said dogs Foreshadowing. earlier. Um, he was, like, one of the ones that worked well with dogs. A lot of the people at, like, the IBI didn't, you know, like to work with the dogs. And he was bit once by a dog. But other than that, he did pretty well with them, was able to train them mm-hmm. and work with them well. And then he worked at JFK Airport specifically with the guard dogs. And he later will state that he heard voices from these dogs talking sure. to him. So, yeah. And throughout this time, he continued to set fires that no one really knew about. So, even in his adulthood, he was setting fires. So, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, didn't he, like, keep diaries and stuff mm-hmm. of, like, the of like all these fires? Yeah. So, they end up, once he gets ca- captured, he, they find... He gets captured? <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> no one knew it was Dang him. it. <laughs> um, once he, you know, gets captured and they search Spoiler his house. alert. God. <laughs> Um, they find like a di like multiple diaries of, they said fourteen or one thousand four hundred eighty eight fires were listed in his notebook. So, if that's accurate, and he was like documenting every single one, that's how many he lit. Um, I have a question: Am I mixing yeah. him up with somebody else? Mm-hmm. Was he the one where he would like set a fire and then he would want the satisfaction of like? alerting somebody mm-hmm. about the fire well was that that's, him i think i mean i don't know of anyone else that did that but mm-hmm. i read that that okay i wasn't sure if yeah. i was mixing him up with people yeah they say like at least police police and investigators thought that he set them for not the purpose of hurting anyone and as far as we know no one really got hurt in them mm-hmm. it was just the satisfaction of them coming and you know freaking out and like having to put out the fire yeah so it's interesting you know just you know, wanting that attention that mm-hmm. to whoever to yeah. come. Well, like, the last podcast talks about how they, they I'll quote them as calling him as, like, a try-hard. Mm-hmm. Like, he just wanted to try hard in, like, everything yeah. and, like, prove himself. So, like, the army. Mm-hmm. You know, he had 12,000 other jobs. Like, he was a taxi mm-hmm. driver. He was yeah. all of the other things that you said he was. And he's just, like, a big try-hard. And in these yeah. cases, when he foreshadowing Mm -hmm. writes these letters yeah like they're very like well written so it's like Mm -hmm. you gotta think maybe he wrote so many drafts Mm -hmm. just to get them to be like perfect yeah and he's yeah he's very deliberate i feel like in his actions and why he he has above intelligence so he's not a stupid guy no yeah it's not they said like i don't i don't know if you mentioned but he did well in school like when he was younger bored yeah he was just like which happens when you're highly mm -hmm. intelligent in school and you're younger and maybe they don't like catch on right Mm -hmm. away yeah bored and he's like he's being bullied and like all this stuff so 
he's super smart and he's realizing like there's mean people in the world and like that's just Mm -hmm. fueling all this rage for like things to come in the future so yeah yeah so the fire they believe the fire setting actually stopped when he started killing because he had a new outlet of you know anger yeah (laughs) work with that's that's what i have of a background all right, you ready to move on to crimes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I have um, December 24th, Christmas Eve of 1975. Uh, Berkowitz left his home with a hunting knife ready to kill. So, I don't know who... I got this from Georgia Marie's video, but I don't know who said that <laughs> he was ready to kill that night, but I'm assuming he was. He was he, just ready. He was like, yeah, like all right, tonight's yeah, the night. I guess so. And he stopped uh, setting fires, like, right before then, so... He attacked two teenage girls in the night while they were walking across a bridge. Um, Both girls actually survived the attack. One went to the hospital because of the wounds that were inflicted. Mm -hmm. But it was just such a minor thing that these girls got attacked. No one even thought of I mean, this is New York City. Yeah. Like, people just getting stabbed all over the place. It's just, like, no one thinks about it. And they're like, all right, these two girls got attacked. Whatever. Like, they didn't think to correlate with anything. Especially because... You'll find out later it's not his M.O. to stab people right. or attack them in the park. So right. until later in the case, like when he confesses to things, they mm-hmm. don't even know this was. Yeah. And I think last him. I'm just going to keep quoting last podcast. I'm <laughs> That's just, okay. Just go listen to there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After this, <laughs> go listen to this. Um, like they say, like he quickly realized hmm, a gun is not very effective. Like if or a knife. You mean? Or yeah. A, okay. A <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Sorry. A gun is not effective. (laughs) Well, like, I I don't think... They said that they don't think maybe he realized, like, how much effort it Mm -hmm. takes to kill somebody with a knife. Yeah. Where, like, a gun, like, a gun is so much easier. Mm. Um, Yeah, he doesn't even have to really get close to Right, and he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, where it's, like, with a knife, you gotta be, like, right up Mm -hmm. on them. Yeah. And I think he was probably like, oh, not this way. I don't like this. Yeah. Nope. And that's what... That's what we'll see. (laughs) Um, so after this attack, he moved into a two-bedroom home soon after and bought a semi-automatic rifle and four boxes of ammunition. Uh, during this time, David's mental health was extremely poor. He just wasn't doing well, um, obviously, if he's in the state to go, you know, kill people. But he states that at this time, he was hearing voices and seeing monsters, which he's seen in the past, and he's heard voices from these dogs, apparently, that he was working with, so... Now it's just even worse. He ends up blaming howling dogs in his neighborhood of the new apartment for keeping up at night and states that these dogs were calls of demons and he thought the only way to get rid of the demon voices was to do what they said. And apparently they were telling him to kill people. Mm -hmm. So he moved to Yonkers um, and to try to get away from the demons and these dogs howling. Mm -hmm. But they followed him and... The neighbor in his apartment building had a dog that David claims was possessed by a demon, and he actually, when he first gets captured, he says that this dog was the reason that he, like, committed all these crimes after, and what drove him to kill. I've got more on that dog. You want me to do that now? Yeah, go for it. So, the heading, the subheading for this is the dog. (laughs) The dog. So, Poor um, dog. I guess poor dog. I know. Little baby dog. So, this family's last name is Carr, and like you said, they lived in Yonkers. 
and they started to get letters from somebody mm-hmm. about like weird letters like weird written letters about their dog barking mm. and the hus- <laughs> wonder who sent those it couldn't be david berkowitz no could it <laughs> Um, the husband's name was Sam. Mm-hmm. Get it? Sam. Hmm. So they really didn't take it seriously yeah. at the time. But, like, they did report them and say, like, mm-hmm. hey, we're getting these weird things. And the police were like, okay, like, we can't we can't do anything yeah. about you getting weird What letters. do you want us to do? Yeah. But then the family ends up getting, like, firebombed. Like, their mm-hmm. house gets firebombed. Um, and just there's just, like, all this stuff going on. Yeah. So then they find out that another family is actually getting similar letters. Mm. And, like, one of their tenants, a.k.a. David Berkowitz, yeah. was complaining about a dog barking. And they found a dog, like, in the neighborhood dead. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he killed the dog. Like, nobody really knows yeah. who killed the dog. Um, Obviously, he has this issue with dogs. So. Yeah, and the Carr family's dog ended up getting shot and killed. Mm, I didn't know that either. I'm gonna assume it was David Berkowitz. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's interesting. Yeah. So like those like he just was sending letters to people with these dogs and mm-hmm. saying like your dog's keeping me up and all this stuff and shooting them and and just and just doing weird stuff so that's like the whole thing with the dog is Mm -hmm. he claimed that these neighbors dogs were telling him to kill Mm -hmm. and the car family's husband's name was sam Mm -hmm. there therefore son of sam yeah that's it's weird it's just like i feel so bad for the dogs getting blamed (laughs) for all this i know and it's just i know you know what state of mind is he in that one he thinks these dogs are demons like telling him to kill people mm-hmm. but also like obviously i don't know he's like trying to get away from it. there's always dogs around like no matter where he went he was it proven that he was actually hearing things or was that just like something where he was like i'm gonna go for the insanity mm-hmm. plea here he so he doesn't ever go for the insanity plea actually in court um he like which we will get to later but he says all these dog things like early on and then later on he says that it was all a hoax so who knows what also like obviously he's mentally unstable at some mm-hmm. level yeah so i just don't know if he was ever like actually psychologically just, evaluated for like hallucinations and delusions he was <laughs> yeah and they said that he was at least to go on trial, they said he wasn't insane and that... Like, like he could stand trial. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he was evaluated multiple times by psychologists. At least, I don't know about the voices and what they said about that, but I just know that they said he wasn't insane and could stand on trial. Hmm. So, but he also, in like, I have a quote later on that says, like, he said it was a hoax that those dogs were saying that. But... Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly believe that he probably thought the dogs were some sort of voice or demon mm-hmm. because i don't know it's just like yeah. it seems like that's that's something that can happen you know to people and like right. if he has any like schizophrenia or underlying schizophrenia type you know disorder mm-hmm. he could definitely be hearing things yeah i was just curious because they like portray him on mind hunter if mm-hmm. you've never seen that show and again they do a wonderful job casting because the actor looks like him <laughs> yeah like really well and they have like him saying like admitting that it was all fake and that oh, he yeah. wasn't actually hearing things mm-hmm. 
So I was just wondering, like, obviously that's TV show, but yeah. I was just curious if it was act- if he actually was like quoted as saying like, yeah, that's no, a hoax. Yeah, well, yeah, he did co- say that oh, okay. eventually in the case. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I don't know what to believe if it's if he just said that because he because he didn't want to be seen as insane. I think so. I don't know if he said that because he didn't want to seem like mm-hmm. he's insane, or because you know he loves the attention. Yeah, exactly. So who knows. All right, so the actual killings and crimes, um, other than the stabbing. So he ended up buying a forty-four caliber handgun, a bulldog handgun, which is what he will use in the yeah. rest of the killings and yeah. attempted killings. And one thing on that gun, like during this documentary I was watching, um, the investigators and the police were saying how the bullets on that gun are huge. Mm-hmm. Like they are not... Yeah, I don't know anything about those, like, Yeah, guns, they said so. that um, the bullets are really big mm-hmm. and that you have to be pretty close mm-hmm. to shoot it to hit a target. Yeah. Um, like, it's not one of those guns where, like, you can be, you know, yeah. super, super far away and hit a target. Like, you mm-hmm. have to be pretty close because I think, I think if I understood it right, because I'm like, I don't know anything about guns. Yeah. Um, John could probably tell you, <laughs> tell yeah, I you don't about know. this gun. Um, but... Like, it loses its velocity pretty mm-hmm. quickly, so it can't gotcha. travel as far. Okay. Um, but the... And they said it's a very rare gun, too. Like, yeah. this bulldog revolver is really hard to have and mm-hmm. find and stuff. And how, I guess, he, like, traveled to Texas mm. to get the gun and traveled back. Like, I wonder it's why. This, yeah, it's like, like this whole thing, yeah. Like, why would you want a gun that's going to make you stand out? You know, like, not a common gun. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But um, along with, like, you saying that it makes sense, you know, a lot a lot of the people he attacks survive, actually. So, you know, maybe if he doesn't want to get close and he's shooting from far away, mm-hmm. he's missing he the targets. Yeah. He has no idea if these people are getting yeah. killed. He has, no idea. <laughs> he has no idea if these people are getting killed. He has yeah. no idea if these people are even getting hit. Yeah. He's just shooting and he's running. Yeah, exactly. And, like... Yeah, like, most, like, there's a lot of survivors of, mm-hmm. like, his attacks, and it makes sense if he's standing far away, running as soon as he shoots, mm-hmm. that, you know, he's hitting someone in the hip or in the shoulder, like, not, right. you know, not deadly mm-hmm. areas to hit, so. Which is so yeah. interesting, because if he was in the army, I'm going to assume he has a pretty good shot. Yeah. And he also has this assault rifle, which, he, but he uses his handgun instead, yeah. so I'm, I don't know what his whole deal is with these who knows things. Yeah, yeah who knows but i feel like at some level he also wanted to get caught maybe so the dog told him to use the 44 maybe because it's a bulldog gun but um bum <laughs> i don't know if it was a bulldog though oh no no it was a lab oh it was yeah it was dang labs it was a black lab um poor little lab okay so the actual killings so july 29th 1976 Bergwitz makes his first kill that'll start the killing rampage that goes on for a little over a year. Two teenage girls, Jody Valenti and Donna Loria, were in the Bronx. They were sitting in their car, uh, Valenti's car, in front of Loria's home. And Loria was about to get out of the car to leave to go into her home. And she saw a man quickly running towards them with a gun um, and, you know, didn't have time to react. So, Loria was shot in the neck, and Valentia was shot in the hip. 
um, Loria was killed, but Valenti was just injured because of the, like, location of the mm-hmm. bullet. Valenti was able to give a description to the sketch artist, which was the first one of, you know, Son of Sam, but at the time they didn't know that this was Son of Sam's doing. Um, but she wasn't able to give much de- detail when the attack occurred. So she said that the biggest thing about this one, this case, was that Valenti didn't recognize the man and said it wasn't anyone that she knew or thought she knew. Mm-hmm. And that was uncommon for crimes then. Most of the time, if there was like a shooting, it was motivated by, you know, the victim knew the person mm-hmm. and, you know, there was a motive behind it. Yeah. So this kind of threw police off and was like, they were like, oh, that's interesting. Why? you know a random person would attack you yeah it wasn't a thing like there was no like stranger on stranger stuff yeah yeah everyone was just you know i don't know (laughs) it's not not like i guess naive but you know those things weren't happening it's like they were happening like didn't lock their doors it just wasn't a thing yeah it's just they didn't think about it which is like so weird to comprehend yeah people didn't lock their doors i know what but i'm sure we're doing things now that in the future they'll be like why did they do that why did they lock their doors so much (laughs) yeah who knows um loria's father was actually able to give a description of a yellow car that he saw parked outside their neighborhood um when he was looking for his daughter to see Mm -hmm. if she was coming home and a neighbor in that neighborhood also states that she saw a yellow car cruising around the area Police didn't think much of this attack, just thought it was, like, a simple robbery gone wrong, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't really need, like, follow up, you know, much besides with the sketch, and mm-hmm. it wasn't even put in the paper or anything, so um, they didn't know it would lead to this huge case yeah. later on. So, I have a couple things, mm-hmm. um, so from the documentary. So, what kind, it's, this kind of breaks my heart a little bit, because it's one of those things where it's, like, if I just would have done something different, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have happened. Yeah. So when they're sitting in the car, just like talking, like you said, Donna Lowry's dad actually comes out and is like, hey, get in the house. Oh, really? Like, yeah. it's late. Like, mm-hmm. come come on in. And she's like, she's like, okay, but why don't you go get the dog and we'll just walk the dog together mm-hmm. and then we'll go in. So when her dad goes back inside to get the dog, that's when the shooting happens. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like if she would have just went inside went in and like, this is not victim blaming. No. But yeah. But, it's just you, know, you it's, think of the possibilities. Yeah, like, of it's what? just like that split second decision of like, mm-hmm. just go get the dog and we'll walk the dog instead of just like saying you know goodbye to Jody mm-hmm. and Jody driving away and yeah and her going in. That just like kind of makes you wonder, yeah, like things like that. Um, and like he, even throughout the whole like you know we've researched this whole case, and it still doesn't seem like he doesn't pick out his victims like ahead of time like. Right, he just drives around and searches. And, yeah, and yeah. he's like, oh, there's people sitting in their car. I'm going to go after them. Yeah. So he could have been, like, he was obviously seen driving on the streets mm-hmm. in his yellow car. And he saw, okay, dad went inside. I'm going to go, like, do this really quick. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy to yeah. me. Um, I have that um, from the documentary that people thought, that, like, investigators thought it was attached to the mafia mm. because of the location. And so they thought maybe it was a mistaken oh, yeah. identity yeah and that the mafia thought that they were killing like somebody mm-hmm. else yeah um and then i also have that they thought it was maybe donna's ex-boyfriend because when they broke up he threatened her life oh okay um so they go to investigate him and they do find a gun at his place but it doesn't match the yeah on a 44 and yeah jody didn't like recognize 
the person. So right. you think that she would recognize at least her the, friend's the ex-boyfriend. ex-boyfriend. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. So that's kind of mm-hmm. is what starts it. Yeah, and that's probably where they stopped investigating. They probably like went to the boyfriend mm-hmm. and was like, "Okay, well, kind of like a dead end yeah. thing." They're like, "Oh, it's just the mafia." Yeah, <laughs> just the can't, mafia. Can't stop those guys. Yeah. All right. So on October twenty third, nineteen seventy six, not too long after the first. Um, in Flushing, Queens, next to Bound Park, I don't know how you say it, Bounty, Bound, Carl De Niro, who's 20, and Rosemary Keenan, who's 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car. The windows were suddenly shattered. De Niro states that he thought the car exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, Keenan quickly st- started the car and sped away for help and didn't realize that someone had been shooting a gun at them. De Niro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head. Keenan had not been directly shot, but had just minor injuries from the glass breaking. They ended up getting away, but De Niro ended up needing a metal plate put in his head to replace a portion of his skull. Um, so they both survived that attack. Um, but neither of them saw who the attacker was. So obviously standing far away and not aiming really like well at these people, even though De Niro, De Niro was hit in the head, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't a fatal injury. So mm-hmm. they were lucky for that yeah so police realized that it's the same gun Mm because again it's a rare gun yeah the 44 yeah but it would take another attack for them to actually see the pattern oh yeah it takes it takes a little time yeah i mean yeah just once or twice you can say it's a coincidence but then once it happens Mm -hmm. you know three times because i mean like this is new york city in the 70s Mm mm-hmm at, th- at this point in time, New York City was named one of the most dangerous cities in the country. Murder was up. Rape was up. Theft mm-hmm. was up. Like, there were so many crimes happening yeah. in one day mm-hmm. that how can you expect all these homicide detectives to put all these cases and link all these cases yeah. together when you've got so much stuff going mm-hmm. on? Especially shootings. Like we said, it's, like, so much less personal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, not stabbings or... It doesn't, like, the victims don't have any link besides location. Like, they're all within, you know, in, like, the boroughs of New York. But other than that, like, what? Yeah, and and a lot of them are in different jurisdictions. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, I mean, we know how it goes. Other mm-hmm. jurisdictions aren't really talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, especially, yeah, in this time. Yeah, so it's not like they, they're able to connect things so quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the same gun, but... Mm-hmm. yeah it's rare but yeah. you're also in new york city yeah it's like when we're looking at this case we're obviously you know talking about each individual incident but you know if you think then they're dealing with a bunch of homicides or a bunch of like random shootings like they're in new york where crime's up and everything mm-hmm. so this just another thing to them yeah. it's like we're obviously seeing them like how can you not tell it's the mm-hmm. same gun but like what <laughs> like they're not thinking yeah. that no they're so. like listen we just want to like do something yeah like they're just doing our job trying to keep it as safe as possible all right so next uh murder november 27th 1976 high school students donna damassi who is 16 and joanne lamino who is 18 were walking home from a movie in floral park a man dressed in military fatigues who seemed to be in his early 20s approached them and began to ask for directions um, so this is, you know, different, a little different than the other ones, not in a car, they're walking. Um, according to the victims, the stranger talked in a high-pitched voice and said, can you tell me how to get, and then quickly produced a revolver. He shot each of the victims once, 
they fell to the ground and he ended up firing several more times and some actually um, hit the apartment building that they were nearby the neighbor heard the gunshots and ran out of his apartment where he saw a blonde man rushing by holding a pistol Damasi was shot in the neck and the wound was not life-threatening and Lamino was hit in the back of the head and he was hospitalized and rendered paraplegic so they both survived but one had very serious injuries mm-hmm. because of it the only description that ended up coming out of this was the person who saw someone running away says it was a blonde man and if you know who son of sam is he's not blonde right. so i don't really have any answers for that <laughs> like why why he's he, all why he said yeah so hmm. weird yeah so that's all i have for that one but okay um january 30th 1977 um, at around 12.40 a.m., Christine Freund, 26, and her fiancé, John Deal, 30, were sitting in Deal's car near the Forest Hills LIRR station in Queens. I think that's a radio station. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, they were preparing to drive to a dance hall after seeing Rocky in theaters. There were g- I know. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> they were seeing Rocky. I love Rocky. I know. Um, there were three gunshots that penetrated the car. Deal started driving away quickly. He suffered minor superficial injuries, but Freund was shot twice and died several hours later in the hospital. Neither of them again saw the attacker. So obviously he's shooting at a distance and mm-hmm. catching people off guard and just shattering these windows and hitting them randomly. Like, yeah. you know, all different parts of the body. This is finally when the police thought that the crimes would be linked, mm-hmm. were linked because of the forty-four caliber bullet. Um, and also, the victims, at least women-wise, were all had long brown hair, and they, you know, thought that that's what whoever this was right. was going after these women. Yeah, and I think it's the second couple that you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carl is in the documentary because Carl survives. He's the one who gets shot in the head and lives. He said mm-hmm. that um, he could see why you know david berkowitz thought he was a female because Mm -hmm. it's it's the 70s so guys had long hair yeah the hippie era the hippie era (laughs) yeah and um like my dad had long hair in the 70s god interesting time yeah (laughs) um and so he had long brown hair Mm -hmm. he was like i was sitting in the passenger seat you know traditionally like the male drives and the female sits Mm -hmm. in the passenger seat so he's like i could understand why he thought I was a girl. Yeah. But yeah, since you mentioned it, we'll talk about how, you know, people thought he was targeting women with long brown hair. So yeah. now, you know, women are buying blonde wigs or dyeing mm-hmm. their hair blonde or getting their hair cut or wearing their hair up. Like yeah. a lot of people, like a lot of these women are now starting to change their hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a connection that people thought was with the discotheque. Again, this is the oh, 70s. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, people thought that he was targeting people at the discotheque. And mm-hmm. So um, a lot of people started not to go or like yeah. cop cars would um, camp outside of like discotheques and mm-hmm. clubs and things like that. Yeah, because now people are actually starting to yeah, like realize, OK, there's been a lot of homicides or attempted mm-hmm. homicides in the area. Mm-hmm. I'm like scared to go out of my house or sit in my car and go to these places. So, yeah. I mean, it later, like, is revealed that it was just happens to be a coincidence oh, yeah. that it's, a, that they're, that most of the victims are brunettes mm-hmm. with long hair. Yeah. 
and that they were at the discotheque. Yeah. It wasn't planned that way. No, yeah. It was just a coincidence that that's how it ended up happening. Yeah, I didn't know, like, if his mom or stepmom had long, dark hair. Do you know? I don't know, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking throughout, like, researching and, reali- like, they obviously put a link for dark hair, dark, long mm-hmm. hair. So I was thinking, oh, like, maybe that was his stepmom's, like, what she looked like, or maybe that was his mom's, like, hair. Right. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's any pictures of them. Because his mom died, you know, when he was young. Yeah. So, you know, why would there be a picture of her? Because (laughs) before, that was before all this happened. And his real mom might, the one associated them because they only david really knew who she was yeah that's a good point i don't know if they had long brown hair that's Mm -hmm. interesting though yeah just seems like that would be (laughs) why like that's like a lot of the connections between serial killers are they're going after like someone that looks like someone that hurt them or whatever well kara's looking that up so obviously now we have a sketch of a black black hair shooter um, from the Loria Val- Valenti shooter, but we also have a blonde sketch from the Lomino Damasi shooter. So police thought they were looking for multiple suspects that, you know, were committing these together or, you know, doing a similar thing in the mm-hmm. area. March 8th, 1977. Around 7.30 at night, a Columbia University student, Virginia, I'm sorry about this last name, Virginia Voskeri Vos- Sheehan, age 19 was walking home from school when an armed man confronted her she lived a block from where the freund dell shooting occurred in a move to defend herself she actually lifted her textbooks up to cover her face the shooter still shot her through the textbooks and the bullet went right into her head killing her instantly so this is also like the first one that was alone you know alone yeah, she's walking she's walking alone but it's close to the one um site of the shooting so he's just yeah it's just an opportunity her mo's um different Mm -hmm. Um, but she did have long brown hair so i found something okay so from ranker.com the targets of most of his criminal activity were women with long wavy and dark hair this is suspiciously similar to what his adopted mother pearl looked like it's hard to know for certain, but it seems likely that Berkowitz's victims received the brunt of his rage related to the loss of his adopted mother. Yeah. So, I figured they would try to make a connection like that, you know. But also, like, how many women have long, dark yeah, hair? Yeah, half, probably half the, you know, if you split it up into blonde or light hair and dark hair, oh, it's I, like if half If I and lived half. in New York in the 70s, I <laughs> yeah. did not have a good chance. Sitting in your car. We sit in your car. All the time. All the time. <laughs> So, you've not been good. Not have a chance. You're blonde. Yeah. You're good. Well, yeah. But I would I'd still be in the car with you. <laughs> Put me at risk, Kara. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for my dark hair. But it's not wavy. No. No, it's not. At least not now. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> All right. Um, so, March 10, 1977. So, two days after the um, after Virginia getting shot on near Columbia University, NYPD, there was an NYPD press conference in New York City that declared that the same 44 caliber Bulldog revolver was fired for the Loria and Voskerichian shots. So, Virginia, who we just talked about, mm-hmm. the Columbia student, 
Aunt Loria, who was the first shooting. So they said that evidence was inconclusive, but they were pretty sure that it was the same gun. Mm -hmm. So that's how they were linking them all. Is this the same time where the mayor, like, decides to address the public and actually say, like, hey, we got a serial killer? Is this the same time? Um, let me see. I don't know. I, at least, the only thing I have, you know, coming up is the letter that when they, mm-hmm. that's when people start more, yeah. like, more because, so knowing the name. Yeah, because before people kind of, like, start to figure out what's going on. Yeah. They start to figure out what's going on because the mayor addresses the city. Mm-hmm. And, like, the investigators in the documentary were talking about how they were afraid that the media was going to catch on about the type of gun. Yeah. Because, you know, you would think that if the killer was using a forty-four caliber and he hears, like, hey, we know the guy uses a forty-four caliber, you'd probably get rid of the gun. Yeah. So they were, make, logically. Would make sense, yeah. Logically. So they were afraid that this was going to get out. Well, yeah. the mayor decides. Mayor. To tell what kind of gun it is, and I put, boy, why? <laughs> why? Why would you say that? Why? Uh, why? 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 <laughs> but yeah, so now this is where they name him the forty-four caliber killer. Yeah, and that makes sense, because when they get the letter later, he says that he's the forty-four caliber killer, so mm-hmm. obviously it's out there that... Yeah. So then that's when people start cutting their hair, mm-hmm. buying wigs, yeah, dyeing their hair blonde, yeah, and people start freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely being more careful in Mm -hmm. the city now. So, April 17th, 1977, at around 3 a.m., Alexander Usao, who is age 20, and Valentina Sarani, age 18, were sitting in Sarani's car near her home in the Bronx. This was just a few miles away from the scene of the Loria and Valenti shooting. Sarani, I just have that Sarani died at the scene, but obviously there was a shooting. (laughs) I didn't say that. So they were shot out in their car. Sarani died at the scene and Yuso died in the hospital several hours later without being able to describe the attacker. Mm -hmm. So both of those um, victims passed away. Uh, Police found that the same weapon was used for this shooting as well. So the 44 caliber. This was something new. This something new finally came about from this uh, shooting. So police discovered a handwritten letter near the bodies of Yuso and Sarani written mostly in block capital letters with only some lowercase letters. The letter was addressed to the NYPD captain, Joseph Borelli. This was the first time that the name Son of Sam appeared, and like Kara said, he was previously dubbed the 44 caliber killer because mm-hmm. of the weapon. This letter was withheld from the public, but some contents were revealed to the press, and obviously that's going to get out to the public, um, and Son of Sam was soon the name that everyone new because mm-hmm. of this letter so but it was it's interesting because all the other ones he shoots and runs basically mm-hmm. but this time he actually stuck around to leave a letter so i just and sarani wasn't even or no sarani was dead at the scene but yuso yuso Heso died in the hospital so obviously he may have been unconscious but he still had to like you know david berkowitz had to go up and drop this letter off near them yeah so it's interesting that, you know, he did that when that hasn't happened in the other mm-hmm. cases. Let me read the letter. Go for it. It's pretty long. Yeah. So this letter's long, but it's, I think it's, it's good to hear. Yeah. And if you don't want to hear it, you can just skip, skip a little just bit. Skip a little bit. <laughs> but I, I would recommend listening because mm-hmm. it's a very well-written letter. Yeah. He's but got it's some, like. He's got some creativity. It's well-written, but if you actually like, look up the letter, 
like on wikipedia there's you know the letter not the there's a picture of the the last page but then typed out is the letter Mm -hmm. it leaves all the misspellings in it so there's a lot of misspellings but it's well written letters so it's just interesting i think it's purposely weird like he purposely misspells things all right ready yes i am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater i am not but i am a monster i am the son of sam i am a little brat when father sam gets drunk he gets mean he beats his family sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house other times he locks me in the garage sam loves to drink blood go out and kill commands father sam behind our house some rest mostly young raped and slaughtered their blood drained just bones now papa sam keeps me locked in the attic too i can't get out but i look out the attic window and watch the world go by i feel like an outsider I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first, shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks, too many heart attacks. Ugh, me. I can't read that word. I, I have it if you want me to. It just says, ugh, me hurt. Me hoot, it hurts, sunny boy. Thank you. Yeah. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in Our Lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, bleasblub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more. No, sir, no more. But I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on this earth. Return me to Yahoos. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Uh, yours and murder, Mr. Monster. Very interesting. And if, yeah, I think it's important to look at this letter. He has a lot of misspellings. Mm-hmm. He, like... L- a lot of his words run together, which is why mm-hmm. I'm, like, reading it. Like, yeah. I can't read what that says. Yeah. And, yeah, if the police thought, like, after reading this letter, he was familiar with Scottish English because the phrases that he used, like, the, me hoot, it hurts, sunny boy, is, like, him saying, my heart, it hurts, sunny boy like in an accent i guess um and then they also believe that the killer's father whoever wrote this letter must have died and he blames a nurse or Mm -hmm. something and that's why he would he shot loria and valenti who were both like working medicine or going to school for a medical degree Mm -hmm. so they're like trying to link something with this letter and they're wondering like who is sam yeah like is sam actually his dad yeah so who's sam we gotta find sam Mm -hmm. is sam like his accomplice yeah is sam going out killing people yeah yeah it's It's very confusing yeah it's just like a lot of things like you know they could go many different ways Mm -hmm. with how to interpret it but in the end it's like it really doesn't give anything away from like his life besides sam and that being like his neighbor i really feel like there's nothing in there that's like leads back to him yeah which I'm sure is what he wanted. He doesn't want them to find yeah. him. And it's like, because also in my head, I'm like, does he want to come off as crazy? 
or is he? I think he... he does at some level. I don't know. Like, is he actually quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. and he's just trying to seem psychotic and insane, yeah. or is he actually psychotic and insane? Well, I think he is psychotic and insane, but I think he. I don't know. It's to me. I think like obviously we talked about how he's smart and he's like calculated, mm-hmm. and so I feel like he's trying to seem more out of it than he is Mm -hmm. by writing these letters but he also is trying to obviously like elude the police and be like haha like similar to zodiac like writing letters and being like you can't catch me like Mm -hmm. just like taunting them yes i don't know i don't know it's weird i didn't get the chance there's like i think there's a lot of videos of him being interviewed you know he's still alive today so people have gotten to interview him Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure he's, you know, very interesting in interviews. And I've heard that he can't keep his story straight. He's always changing it. Like, oh, he heard voices. He didn't hear voices. Oh, this, like, he changes a lot. So, I don't know. (laughs) It's it's interesting for sure. Yeah. So. But I I like that letter. Like, it's. I do. Because it's. it's, I like that letter. I do. Because it's. There are parts where I'm like, "Mm, okay. But then there are parts where it sounds really poetic, where it's like, I look out the window and watch the world go by. Mm-hmm. I feel like an outsider. I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else. And like, obviously he's not, like, it. Make, he makes it seem like he's trapped, like, in this yeah. attic or whatever it is, like, being held captive. But the attic could be metaphorical. Well, well yeah, I, I think it's You know, it's very poetic. It is, but... I don't know. I just like that letter. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> Oh, but I like it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is well written. It's calculated, you know, letter. He meant everything he said in it, mm-hmm. I, I think. So, you know, I don't think it's like a fit of rage. He's writing a letter and dropping it off quick. So. Right. Um, so then on May 30th, 1977... The Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin received a handwritten letter from someone who claimed to be the 44 caliber shooter. The letter was postmarked that same day in Englewood, New Jersey. And on the reverse side of the envelope, it neatly in hand-printed script said, Blood and family, darkness and death, absolute depravity, 44, like a 44 caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know who Jimmy Breslin is, he was a huge columnist mm-hmm. for the Daily News at the time. Yeah. I mean, he even says he likes his writing, so it's really <laughs> crazy. If a huge newspaper guy also likes it, I don't think so. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Jimmy Ruslan personally, but... Oh, you don't? No. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Well, I have that in the letter. Whoever wrote it said, what will you have for July 29th, which is would be the year anniversary from the first shooting. Mm-hmm. So that's why Ruslan sent the letter to police, and police suspected... That the letter was made in, like, an art studio or, mm-hmm. you know, graphic design. They were, like, whoever wrote this was into that. And it was a lot different than the first letter. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find pictures of the first letter and how, like, yeah messy it is. And I don't It's just, like, it looks like, you know, a handwriting of someone. But this one was, like, very clean and looked like a professional did mm-hmm. it. So they actually asked the people of DC Comics which is interesting if they like recognize the lettering like they were like anyone in your department had this lettering so they were dc comics obviously said no he didn't he didn't work for him but what made me think like did a copycat write the letter 
or did like Santa Sam write the yeah. letter? I don't know if it's ever confirmed. Well, I'm going to tell you that it was him because okay. I'm going to read some lines that'll come into play later. Okay. So part of the letter says, here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death, the Wicked King Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties, Rapist, and Suffocator of Young Girls. Okay. I'll leave it at that with those phrases, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll come back to it later. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> so the New York Daily News ended up publishing this letter a week later, and Breslin urged the killer to surrender himself. The paper is still the highest-selling edition of the Daily News at 1.1 million copies sold. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. A lot of people are obviously invested in this case, and, you know, it does remind me of Zodiac, like, a little bit, how yeah. it's, you know, you Targeting know, newspaper. Yeah. and writings, and, yeah. Yeah, people are invested and, like, want to know what's going on with it. All right. June 28th, 1977, Sal Lupo, who is 20, and Judy Placido, 17, had just left the Elphis discotheque in the Bayside area, Queens. Um, they were sitting in Lupo's parked car at 3 a.m. Three gunshots blasted through their windows. Lupo was wounded on the right forearm and Placido was shot in the right temple, shoulder, and back of the neck. Both victims were survived their injuries. Lupo told the police that the young couple had been discussing the Son of Sam case only moments before their shooting. Isn't that crazy? Here's like my- sitting in the car, like talking about that. Ugh. Ugh, creeps me out. We sit in the car all the time. I know. I know. <laughs> I was coming to Kara's house to film this, and I was sitting in my car just waiting for her over the garage. I'm like, I'm going to get killed. And she comes, she's like, let me in your house. <laughs> I go, no. <laughs> Neither of the victims saw the attacker, but two witnesses reported that they saw a dark-haired man with a leisure suit on fleeing the area. They were able to even give the police a partial license plate number. Oh, snap. So... Nothing really came about that that I know of from, like, for later in the case, but it was interesting that that's, like, the most anyone's ever been able to see from him. Interesting. Yeah. So, at the first anniversary of the 44 caliber shootings, um, police established a sizable dragnet that emphasized the past hunting grounds in the Queens and Bronx area. Mm -hmm. However, the next shooting occurred in Brooklyn, where they were not ready (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't even on the anniversary. It no, was the it day wasn't. after, right? Yeah. No, it was two days after, oh. I believe. Yeah, but still, it's they weren't even... Yeah, they were ready for that night because of the letter that was wrote to mm-hmm. Jimmy Breslin, and nothing happened. Um, July 31st, 1977, Stacey Moskowitz, who is 20, and Robert Violante, who is 20, were in Violante's car, which was parked under a streetlight near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach on their first date. They were kissing when a man approached them within three feet of the passenger side and fired four rounds into the car. The shots hit both victims' heads. Violante lost his left eye and Moskowitz, the only blonde victim of David Berkowitz, died from her injuries. Obviously, they're still suspecting Son of Sam for this. Detective John Tico was awakened at home and told a report to the 10th Homicide Division in Coney Island. He was given two weeks to work on this specific case under as like a normal murder investigation Mm -hmm. and he could not solve it and it was ended up getting passed to the son of Sam task force just like all the other ones. Yeah. So with that one, 
I have the same night of that shooting, a woman named Cecilia Davis was walking her dog. Mm -hmm. And so she sees a police officer, Michael Catania, giving out parking tickets in the same area. So while she's walking this dog, she said that a young man passed her and seemed to study her Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, like creepy, looking at her creepy. Yeah, which of course freaks her out. Of course. Because um, she said that he had a dark object in his hand, but Mm -hmm. she couldn't make out what it was. So she ran home and she could hear shots being fired behind her, but she didn't tell police for four days after the attack. Why? (laughs) Why? 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 Which led to each car that was ticketed to be investigated. Mm-hmm. So on August 9th, 1977, when the court or like whoever looks through these parking ticket records, yeah. um, they found one for David Berkowitz. Of course. Who lives in Yonkers. So they're like, why does this guy who lives in Yonkers, why is he in Brooklyn yeah. around the crime scene mm-hmm. of this last shooting? Yeah. Turns out that his 1974 door yellow, so I know, yellow yeah. car. So matches the previous mm-hmm. description. Ford Galaxy was among the ticketed vehicles. Mm-hmm. So when the police contact Yonkers, the dispatch person turns out to be Wheat Carr. Mm-hmm. Wheat Carr is the wife of Sam Carr. Of remember we talked about those that couple mm-hmm. who's getting these weird letters with the dog. Mm-hmm. It turns out to be her. Mm-hmm. So to kind of piggyback off all of these letters. This is where I'll, I'll bring it all in. Mm-hmm. This family, When this family finds out that this other family that I mentioned was also getting letters, they start to find connections between the two family letters and the Breslin letter. Mm-hmm. So remember how I read like those phrases yeah, yeah. from the Breslin letter? One of the phrases, the Wicked King Wicker. Wicker is the street name that the cars lived on. Mm. And then John Wheaties, mm-hmm. the the wife's first name is Wheat. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are different connections yeah. that he writes in these three different times mm-hmm. he's writing these letters to like these hidden. three different people. Yeah, like he's hiding yeah. codes, yeah. which again is very Zodiac. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering if he got a lot of these ideas from Zodiac. Because yeah, Zodiac happens early 60s to to i'm sorry late 60s to early 70s Mm -hmm. so a few years yeah yeah so i'm wondering if he was like oh i'm gonna write some letters like zodiac yeah i don't know but so there are connections between Mm -hmm. all these letters yeah so they end up bringing that attention to the police and the police in the documentary are like they convinced us that like this might be the same guy Mm -hmm. who you know is writing all these letters yeah which is good Mm-hmm. that they like thought of i mean i think they would have obviously qu- at least questioned david just from the parking ticket thing but it is good to have all that you know information and yeah. like to link everything yeah. together it's just so ironic that the dispatch person who ends up getting this call from brooklyn mm-hmm. is the wife of this yeah. family yeah with the dog that's weird yeah it's bizarre it is weird, which and then there's another thing later on we'll get to that is like a weird connection, yeah. too. Um, so, so on August 10th, 1977, police investigate his car that was parked on the street outside of his apartment building. Mm-hmm. They find a rifle in the back seat and search the car and found a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of the crime scenes, and threatening letters addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force, and Omega was the name of the task force for the son of Sam. Mm-hmm. 
The investigators decided to wait for him to leave the apartment rather than risk a violent encounter in the building. And they also waited to get a search warrant for the apartment because they were worried that their search might be challenged in court. Yeah, because it was, like, not technically legal for them to get break into the car because, you know, it's legal to have a rifle mm-hmm. in New York and there wasn't, like, probable cause yeah. to search it. But but they did anyway. Yeah. I mean, they had, I think they had to. Yeah. So the warrant still had not arrived when Berkowitz exited the apartment building at about 10 p.m. and entered his car, probably going out hunting. So Detective John Blectio approached the driver's side of the car and pointed his gun, and then Detective Sergeant William Gordella pointed his gun from the passenger side. Mm-hmm. So as they're looking in the car, they can see a paper bag containing a 44 caliber Bulldog revolver. Of course. Of course. <laughs> And, you know, with the ballistics test, they find later that it's the same gun. Mm -hmm. Um, So while all this is going down, Berkowitz is quoted as saying, well, you got me, Mm -hmm. with a smile on his face. Yep. And and then I have different quotes, so. Yeah, I have two. Now that I've got you, Detective Fell, Tico said to the suspect, who have I got? You know, the man said, and what the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. No, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. You're Sam, Sam who? Sam, David Berkowitz. Mm-hmm. And then I have an alternate version also of Berkowitz's words were, well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, because he says in his first letter, like, you got to kill me. Yeah, there's or, no way. Know, like, I can't, like, he's basically like, I can't stop killing yeah. you, so you need to kill me to stop me. And I took it as, like, I'll do whatever it takes, like, if you don't kill me, like, I'm going to kill you, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the only only other option, basically. Yeah. So they ended up searching his apartment, 7E, and found it in disarray. There was satanic graffiti on the walls. They found diaries he's kept since he was 21 years old, and also three stenographer's notebooks that were nearly all full with hundreds of arsons that we said was little over 1,400 Mm -hmm. that he set throughout New York City. Um, I thought this was interesting. Uh, not Well, it's kind of related to the case, but not really. But soon after the arrest, the building that he lived in changed their name from 35 oh, yeah. Pine Street I to 42 Pine Street because there was obviously a uh, notoriety with <laughs> that David Berkowitz lived at, lived at 35 Pine Street. So they had to change their name. Um, yeah, so he was held at Yonkers Police Station before being transported directly to the 60th Precinct in Coney Island. And Major Abraham Beam announced that announced the people of the city of New York can rest easy because of the fact that the police have captured a man who they believe to be the son of Sam. You know, everyone was probably super relieved at that time. Yeah. So. We're like, oh, great. We can go back to discotheques Yeah, now. I can sit in my car again. <sighs> the car. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how many times have we said, like, a car talking? There's just something different about sitting in a car talking. Yeah. We would do it, like, anywhere, too. Like, in the, like, Target parking lot. Yeah, we like... were not okay. We have not been okay. We've been lucky. <laughs> We've been lucky thus far. Knock on wood right yeah. now. Thank you. <laughs> um, August 11th, 1977. So, all this happens pretty quickly. We're like, you know, things yeah. happening. Uh, Berkowitz was interrogated for about 30 minutes in the early morning. Um, and he quickly confessed to the shootings and expressed an interest in pleading guilty. The investigation was led by John Keenan, who is the father of the second shooting. It was when she was on a date with Carl, yeah. the one who got shot in the head. And yes. it's funny because in the documentary, Carl's like, 
her dad really didn't want like her to go out with me. I had yeah. long hair, and he he kept saying he kept repeating himself. He's like, I smoked a lot of pot. <laughs> I mean, a lot of pot. And he's like, uh, he said like when he got shot and stuff, and like he mm-hmm. came to and all this stuff. He's like, man, he's really not gonna like me now. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> His long hair getting him in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, Rosemary Keenan. So her dad was actually the one who recorded, you know. Uh, Berkowitz's confession Mm -hmm. so another tie there which is good I think that at least he gets the dad gets that closure I think with that um can you imagine sitting in that room across from like the the person who tried to kill your daughter my god I know the self-control on that guy I know and and it has killed multiple other people it's It's crazy crazy Crazy. Jinx. Jinx. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Berkowitz claimed, obviously, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but that the neighbor's dog was the reason he started to kill people, stating that the dog demanded blood of pretty young girls. He said that Sam, the Sam mentioned in the first letter was his former neighbor, Sam Carr. Um, Berkowitz claimed that Carr's black lab was possessed by an ancient demon. It issued irresistible commands at Berkowitz must kill people. A few weeks after the arrest and confession, Berkowitz was permitted to communicate with the press. He told press, there are other sons out there. God help the world. So that kind of like was like, people were like, does he have other people that like he knows right, doing right. this? Or is he just like talking about in general, like serial killers? Yeah. And, like killers. Mm-hmm. Like other evil people. Other sons. Yeah. Yeah. So then in February 1979, this is what we discussed a little er- earlier. Berkowitz declared that his previous claims of demonic possessions were a hoax. So, he says that. Obviously, we don't know what he heard or what he saw or what Mm -hmm. he believed at the time. Right. But he says it was a hoax. Okay. So, the trial. After three separate mental health examinations, it was determined that Berkowitz was competent to stand on trial. So, obviously, defense lawyers for Berkowitz really wanted him to have the insanity, like, Mm -hmm. because, you know, they didn't want him to stand on trial for this. Right. So, Berkowitz is happy that he was able to stand on trial because he did not want to plea insanity, um, which is interesting, I think. Because he was, like, eager to plead guilty, right? Yeah, he just, like, was like, I did it. That's it. Whatever. Just keep it. Keep it going. So, the defense lawyers obviously wanted him to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, but Berkowitz refused. He appeared in court on May 8th, 1978 and pled guilty to all of the shootings. After his sentencing, two weeks later, Berkowitz caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window of the seventh floor courtroom, trying to be Ted Bundy now. Oh, He's all over so the place. He's like, okay, I have Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. It's Bundy time. <laughs> Bundy time. Now I'll jump out of the courthouse. Um, after they captured him, he repeatedly chanted Stacy, who was his last victim, the blonde one. Stacy was a whore, and I'd kill her again. I'd kill them all again. I saw something about that of, like, maybe Stacy equals, like, his mom. Yeah. Maybe. Like, his mom had an, was having an affair with the married man. Yeah. And that's, like, where he thinks she's a whore and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Because he didn't know Stacy. Like, he didn't know that victim. Right. So, yeah, it's just, like, his So, it makes me wonder if his mom's blonde. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, obviously, they tried to do another psych evaluation on him, and they still found him competent to stand on trial, despite him writing... On the walls of his cell, I'm not well, not well at all. June 12, 1978, Berkowitz was sentenced to 25 years to life prison for each murder to be served consecutively. So, six. There were six total murders, so that's what he got. 25 times six. What's that? 150. Right? Dang, you did that quick. <laughs> I'm like 25, 50, 75. <laughs> I just think of quarters. <laughs> 
That's how I think. Um, he was ordered to serve time at Attica Correctional Facility in upstate New York Supermax Prison. Despite prosecutors' objections, Berkowitz's guilty plea made him eligible for parole in 25 years. So in 1979, Berkowitz was actually attacked in jail. Um, he had his neck slashed from front to back. So like a big slash, resulting in over 50 stitches needed. But he refused to identify his assailant and said that it was the punishment he deserved. True. <laughs> but, yeah, so he was just like, whatever. In 1987, Berkowitz became an evangelical Christian in prison and says he is no longer the son of Sam, but the son of Hope. So he was like a new, new, newborn, again, Christian during this. So the parole eventually happened. <laughs> Berkowitz was entitled to a parole hearing every two years as mandated by the state, but he continually refused to ask for release. Sometimes he even skipped the hearing altogether. <laughs> Before his first parole in 2002, Berkowitz sent a letter to New the New York governor, George Pataki, demanding that his parole be canceled. He wrote, in all honesty, I believe that I deserve to be in prison for the rest of my life. I have, with God's help, long ago come to terms with my situation and accept my punishment. They rejected his demand, so I guess he was still had to go through the parole process. Okay, but why? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? So Bert, I love the American justice system. I know. It's, it's so like, good. He's like, I just want to be in jail. And they're like, no. <laughs> but he's still Cause in jail, who, luckily. Cause, yeah, because who in their right mind on a parole board would be like, you know he's what, good. son of Sam... Yeah, all right. Yeah, you're a cool guy. You come back. You can you can come back, come back to New York City. <laughs> society wants you. Come back to New York City. Yeah, and then this is the last thing I have, which is interesting. Berkowitz's lawyer stated that he is a model prisoner, which you know sounds like he's like at a good place for him in his life, Berkowitz. But so he's living the life in prison. Um, but he was supposed to have another hearing in May of 2020, actually. But due to COVID pandemic, it was delayed. So he's actually going to be on parole soon. Like, of this year? I don't know. Like I, it didn't say when it was delayed to, but I'm assuming it'll be soon because... It's so crazy it's to me. Because, like, I, I said this to you when I called you when I was driving to work earlier mm -hmm. today. Of how, like, when I think of, like, big serial killers, like yeah. Ted Bundy, David mm -hmm. Berkowitz, Zodiac, yeah. um, Ed Kemper, mm -hmm. um, John Wayne Gacy... I just assume they're all dead. Yeah. Like, oh, that was so long ago yeah. in the past. It's so shocking to me that, like, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, mm -hmm. is still just, like, chilling in prison. Yeah. That's so bizarre for me to even think about. And, like, in our lifetime, he's already been on parole once in 2002, and he'll be on parole again, which, I mean, I don't think it yeah. would, he would get out, but still, it's, like, weird to think, like that that's going to happen in our lifetime. Yeah, and it's also weird to think that in our lifetime, Golden State Killer got captured. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, that's weird because, again, yeah. it's like, I, because I remember before he got caught in 2018, watching a documentary of, like, Paul Holes mm -hmm. going through, like, the investigation stuff, mm -hmm. and in my head I'm thinking, there's no way this guy is still alive. No, yeah. There's no way. He's Just, dead. Yeah. They're never going to catch him. He's going to mm -hmm. be in his 80s at this point. Like, he's got to be dead. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> He's a lot. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. I know. It is. It's just crazy. I mean, because now, you know, the big, big killers that we know of and we hear the names of were in the 60s and 70s mostly. Yeah. So it makes sense that they're alive still, but it's just weird to 
yeah. think about that. Like l- last week, Kalana Braza, she's alive. Mm-hmm. Well, but like her killings took place in the two thousands. Yeah, so. that's true. But it's like weird. Still, yeah. I don't know. I don't <laughs> it's know. Because like, when weird. I think serial killer, I think seventies. Yeah, like something like people were on some weird shit in the seventies yeah. <laughs> anyway. I know. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's so weird to, to for me to think that he's still alive. And like we can, I'm sure that's gonna be a big deal when he goes on. Like he's on parole again. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be on the news and stuff like that. So it'll be like interesting to see. I'm sure see they that. won't parole him, but could well, you yeah. imagine no. if they did? Oh, it'd be he'd probably get be shot. Like an uproar. Yeah, there. No way people would be okay with that. No, no. It's just it's crazy. But I guess supposedly he found God and he's a better person and all that, which is you know fine. But like, stay in jail. <laughs> Just stay in jail. I I don't know if it's him, like, BSing around or not, but if he isn't BSing around and he's Mm -hmm. saying things like, don't parole me, I deserve to be here, like, yeah, yeah, the guy tried to, like, slit my throat, but, Mm -hmm. like, it's cool, I'm not going to out him. Like, if that's actually how he's thinking and he's not just, like, BSing, like, good on him for not not being, like, because most people in jail who deserve to be in jail are, like, I need to get out. I need to get out. I yeah. did my time. I blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I'm better like, now. Let me out. It's like, no. Yeah. You should probably have a lethal injection. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I'm better now, but no, I'm going to stay in here. Yeah. But it's fine. But also, like, is it is it a selfish thing for him to think to stay in there because he knows if he gets out yeah, that he's I was gonna say that in too. danger, too. <laughs> like, I was going to say that, too. I feel like when you're in jail for so long, you just kind of adapt to mm-hmm. that lifestyle. Oh, you see Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like, they People don't... People get out, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. They're just like... Because now they're on the outs of society. Like, yeah. no one wants to hire them. No one wants to, like, and, like, have them. Could you imagine him being released in 2021? No. Like, like hypothetically, like oh my there gosh, are no. cell phones. Yeah. There are cars that drive themselves. There's, yeah, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and yeah. it was like the biggest tech, technological advancements have happened since he's been in jail. Yeah, like like the dude would be lost. Oh yeah, but I mean, crazy. I just can't imagine how people would react to oh, someone no. that notorious getting out. He couldn't go back to New yeah. York. There's no way. No, no, no. There's no way. You would have to just, like, live in North Dakota on a farm. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> You're like, what's your name? Uh, Richard. <laughs> Use, like, his last, or his, uh, his, his middle name. name. Yeah. Richard Falco. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But it would just be crazy. But you think about it, like, if Ted Bundy wasn't executed, he'd probably be alive today, too. Which is I weird. I thought that, too, yeah. To think about, but. It's weird. Yeah. Well, it's, like, interesting. I mean, I don't know what, um, New York was like for death penalty and stuff i don't know what they're yeah i don't know like i'm surprised he didn't get tried for death but you think it's because he pled guilty you think they did like a plea deal and they were like oh which i think is just but i don't even think i think he he didn't want like a a deal or anything i think he just was like i'm guilty like yeah Yeah. do whatever so i don't know maybe they you know don't do death penalty there. maybe even like then i think yeah. now i don't think they do it but back then maybe they didn't yeah, either. maybe i'm not sure but yeah it's it's really crazy how one person can plague an entire city mm-hmm. and i mean it was called the summer of sam yeah like he was everywhere and and everybody felt like they could be next oh yeah because even like guys were obviously getting shot too because they were like with with yeah, women with like the women yeah so and no one 
was safe really i mean it was all younger victims for the most part mm-hmm. like they're all like in their 20s or teens so yeah. yeah it's just crazy to to think about that and it's just like you know night stalker he like the san francisco was like freaking out when mm-hmm. that was happening it's just weird that like those things because nothing like that has happened at least around us like in right. our lifetime where we're like on like you don't like, want to go outside yeah. because you're Except scared the pandemic <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i'm saying you know an actual human being killing yeah. people <laughs> yeah it's crazy and like all of california was freaking out southern california was freaking mm-hmm. out when golden state killer was on the loose and mm-hmm. um yeah and i especially feel like around us like that kind of stuff just hasn't really happened like yeah we had jeffrey dahmer <laughs> we did have jeffrey dahmer <laughs> but yeah I don't know. It's just also also the time right now. I mean, it's there's a reason that all the killers we talk about are from this era because that's when they were able to get away with it more. Now yeah. there's more technology like we said, mm-hmm. you know. There's cameras most people have yeah, security yeah. cameras, all this stuff. So, it's good that these things happen less and we're yeah. not talking about cases that happen like right. now, around us, yeah. yeah. But it's a good it's still it's a, a good goes case, on. yeah. Yeah. So that was a a big case for us. <laughs> Good job for picking that one. Yeah, I was like, let's do something that's not huge, huge. Yeah. But yeah, when you text me, you're like, "Son of Sam," and I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> it's going down." Yeah. I don't even know. I think I saw, I saw Son of Sam somewhere because like I saw it and I was like, "Let's do that." <laughs> like I don't even know where I saw yeah. it come up, but it's a good one. It is a good one. I think people should like this episode. <laughs> I hope so. We tried to keep it. You know, more organized. We're trying to figure out how to do them more mm-hmm. organized. And with these bigger cases, it's easier because there's so much there's information. There's more information, yeah. So. I get picked next week. I yep. don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yep, we'll see. But And my mom will come on podcast soon to do a case. <laughs> she told me today she wants to come on. It's going to be so, so exciting. Yeah, she'll. she's like... She's like, I'm going to start doing my research now. So I got everything. I'm like, okay, well, you have to let us know so we can do research too. <laughs> She's just going to run the show. Yeah, she'll be how like, about, give me the mic. How about we just let her do the case and we just go, oh, 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 oh interesting. In- that's nice. <laughs> yeah, my mom will be a riot, let me tell <laughs> <God>. you. <laughs> I'll have to make that one explicit. <laughs> have like explicit content warning on it. <laughs> be proud of me. I have a sailor, a sailor's mouth. Yeah. Kara's worse than me. Yeah. I don't, I don't curse that much. Yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> do a lot. Well, my mom will change that dynamic on our show. <laughs> How do we do the bleep button? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I just have to, like, put, like, you can put explicit when you post it, yeah. so it doesn't really matter either way. I don't think kids are listening. <laughs> if you're a kid listening, you're learning a lot of Yeah, stuff. you are. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know who I'll pick next week. So I'll I'll figure it out. Yep. We always do. We always figure it out. <laughs> well, we'll figure it out at some level. And you'll hear from us next week. <laughs> All right. All right. We have less chit chat at the end just for you guys. So you don't have to listen to us <laughs> anymore. It's, it's gonna be a long episode. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram <laughs> at Alate Murder or send us an email at Alate Murder at Gmail. <laughs> you almost didn't even I say forgot email. my lines. At. You just at. Say at. <laughs> just guess. Send them to all of it. Yahoo, Gmail, AOL. 
Let's just see what happens. See what happens. Who responds? <laughs> Let us know any critiques, criticisms, any cases you want us to do, conspiracies, mm-hmm. and um, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yep. so don't you? We don't. We don't know. There's no rules. We don't know what we're doing. We, we've been telling you this since day <laughs> one. We don't know what we're doing. No, no, that's our tagline. We don't know what we're doing. Nope. But we keep doing it. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. <laughs> All right, we're getting we're getting loopy. I'm tired. Same. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, and join us next week for more latte murder. Bye. Bye.